Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. In the book, Disrupt Yourself by Whitney Johnson, she suggested that the disruptions and changes that matter most start with personal disruptions and change. There is no doubt that the COVID crisis has disrupted every person's life and every organization's business model. The crisis has impacted the way we learn, the way we interact, the way we work, and the way we think about our personal and corporate priorities. Every step of the way, digital technologies have been brought front and center with the importance of data, advanced analytics, and contextualization being more important than ever. We are fortunate to be joined today by Tamara McClary, the CEO of Thelium, and a top 10 social media influencer in AI, robotics, digital technology, and MarTech. A globally recognized futurist and keynote speaker, Tamara shares her perspectives on the impact of COVID-19 on the technology ecosystem and what consumers will be expecting when this crisis subsides. Welcome to the show, Tamara. This is one of those unique situations where digital engagement has preceded the opportunity to actually meet somebody in person. In fact, I don't think we've even talked to each other before just now, yet we've been connected on LinkedIn, Twitter, and other channels for more than five years, uh, regularly communicating back and forth, getting to know each other, and but yet never hearing each other's voice. Um, before we get started, could you share a little bit about yourself and your journey from being a life flight trauma nurse to being one of the most respected social media marketers and a leading voice in technology space? <laughs> yeah, Jim, how much time do we have? <laughs> yeah, I, it's, you know, it's interesting. As I said, you don't necessarily, while some of us pivot, you actually telecommute yourself to different spots in the world. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess you would call me like a, a reinvention artist, right? But uh, yeah, you're right. So back in 1987, I started off my career path as a registered nurse. And you're right, the trauma nursing, doing life flight helicopter nursing, ICU. And, you know, my last clinical stint was as a pediatric hospice nurse taking care of, you know, as a case manager for children who had a diagnosis of six months or less to live. So they were terminally ill. And near the end of, you know, 10 years of taking care of people who were exiting our planet, I I went back to school because I wanted to find a cure for cancer because my entire world seemed to revolve around cancer. And, you know, during my graduate pursuit in molecular physiology and taking on research positions, and um, I was doing research at Stanford University, and it was a conjunction research between Stanford, UCSF School of Medicine, and Berkeley. You know, we were looking at longevity factors with women who had breast cancer. And it was through that that I realized that you know, our health, our immunity, our immune response, how well we survive and thrive, you know, all that can assault a, a human cell really has a lot to do with our emotional states. And I got very interested in psychoneuroimmunology and how, you know, our positive attitude and not fake affirmations, I'm not talking about that, but have you ever met somebody, Jim, who's just like a beacon of positivity, just like no matter what befalls them, they brush off the dust and they get back up and keep going. And then there's those people that, 
no matter what, it just seems their life is, you know, uh, run amok with chaos. And when you try to offer advice or help, they always have a reason why it won't work for them. But if you ever notice, there's those two defining personality types. Well, it's funny. I was just talking about this with somebody uh, two weeks ago. At age 40, I went through some trauma of my own and realized I had to get those negative Nellies and negative Nicks (laughs) out of my life because as much as I wanted to fix them, uh, we'll use that in quote marks because it, it's not something that really needs to fixable. It brought me down. And so I decided to surround myself with those people that were invariably happy or at least knew that in any bad time, they can find a positive experience. And, and it's an amazing transformation where you, you, you realize that, geez, you know, I, I can't spend my whole life saving people, but I want people around me that wake up every day going, you know, it's pretty good. I'm glad to be alive, as they say. Yeah, that gratitude piece is just so powerful. And, you know, people don't realize that the statistical probability of our life expectancy grew, you know, dramatically increased by the level of positivity and good energy, right? And you've heard of, you know, oncology doctors even suggesting that their patients watch comedy, like humor, things that make them laugh. And there's a biological reason for that. When we are in a good place, when we're laughing, when we're having a good time like we're having right now, Jim, is that our brain and our cells and our body are bathed with a really life-affirming, immunological supporting bath versus if we're in a heated debate or discussion or we you know, are getting our blood pressure up, we're then bathing our cells with things that, you know, promote cancer and autoimmune diseases and things like that. So it really, there's a lot of support around, we really got to watch our emotional health because our emotional health is directly related to our physical health. So how did that move you to being a social media marketing maven? Well, you know, to support my uh, my hunger for knowledge, and I'm, I'm a perpetual student, right? I'm learning every day. To support my habit of buying books constantly on Amazon and, and taking college courses, I took some jobs to earn money. And one of them was uh, working with KPMG as a consultant, you know, doing their healthcare compliance monitoring. And then that led into taking some gigs with new tech. I was in Silicon Valley at the time. I think I mentioned the schools that I was working with. So um, I was then hired by companies who were bringing new, at first, health tech to the world and needed help communicating their brilliant idea in a way that would get the buy-in from physicians and healthcare organizations, managed care systems. And so I began, you know, I didn't go to school for business or marketing, but I began writing messaging and going out and talking to these, you know, healthcare organizations and physician groups about the technology and why it would replace the current gold standard. And that was kind of my foray into marketing because I I just magically had a lot of success around it. And I enjoyed being able to communicate those complex topics because I, it was very close to what I did in nursing, which is really communicating those complex medical issues to patients and their families to increase compliance. So it's interesting. My situation was I was a banker, and then I got into direct and digital marketing for banking. So I played off my experiences and my knowledge of the banking industry to then sell and strategize with bankers and how to use digital and direct marketing. So your timing, as it happened to be, with digital 
really corresponding and correlated with the complete shift of marketing to social and, and digital channels, which is kind of exciting, I think. It is. And you're right, Jim. I think you and I both started on social media almost at its inception, just being the curious people that we are. So I've learned a lot over the years, as I'm sure you have, with how to use that particular communication platform. And I find it extremely rewarding. The thing I love most about social media is that it is very social and, you know, everybody has a voice. Yeah, I just feel grateful that I got in when I did and started participating. So if I'm not mistaken, you continue to disrupt yourself. And and are you about to embark on another advanced education degree, if I'm not mistaken, at Harvard? Yes, actually, I told you I, <laughs> I'm a perpetual student, but uh, I just got accepted and I'm wildly excited. I know it's pretty anticlimactic right now with all that's going on in the world, but I'm really excited because I do want to dedicate and devote myself to learning and educating myself around these issues that are going to become so exquisitely important around ethics and economics in our future digital age. So I want to have a greater voice in that ethical piece around nascent technologies such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, genetic engineering, you know, and how we're really altering humanity through technology. Well, it's interesting because we take it for granted and that's sometimes a flaw because, you know, we're finding right now that there's some amazing powers of what's going on with technology. As I, I look at, we're going to get to solve the whole COVID epidemic because of the combination of data, technology, partnerships of the medical community, and the ability for government to fast speed the approval process. And where they've talked about 18 to 24 months, I have no doubt that we're going to find something extraordinarily quickly and what that's going to do is going to lay, raise the level of what people expect. And they're going to say, well, how about this disease? How about this disease? How about this disease? Knowing that, we're going to have to, in each case, look at the ethics of, okay, what's your risk level you're willing to accept? The whole ethics of data, technology, medicine, even marketing, I mean, how we deal with privacy and identity, biometrics. It's just amazing. That, congratulations, by the way, on being accepted. When do you start? I start August 25th is my first day of graduate classes. So I'm really excited. And uh, I just think, um, you know, Jim, I know you are such a beacon of light out there. But I think that I, as we're doing this risk benefit analysis between should we or shouldn't we, I think one thing we have to consider is the fact that while we are always told the light side, the good side, by some companies who really are pushing technology for monetary gain, I think we have to realize that we have to be discerning as people, you know, as a, a collective global population of humanity, we have to be discerning and go that while there is plenty of good, and while I love the applications of AI and artificial intelligence with, you know, even what we're doing in cancer, I think that we have to realize that where there is light, there's also shadow. Where there is good, there's also some players that are, are not so good. And it takes all of us as a village to vet whether or not we should be participating in certain nascent technologies. Great point. Right now, obviously, everything we've ever thought about, how we learn, share, engage, 
with those that we love, transact with businesses, and even entertain ourselves has changed dramatically in about a month. What is the biggest change that you've seen? You know, one of the biggest immediate changes I saw is that everybody had to get quite familiar with using video conferencing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not like we hadn't been using it before, right? But it's just that we're using it to the degree we never have before. And people who weren't really quite sure or a little rusty with how do I share my screen and do all the things that you can do on video conferencing have all become instant experts because now this is how we're running our organizations. This is how we're getting our you know, business units together and creating that cohesion between you know, our employees. And so the biggest shift I've seen is that everybody had to move their business, their communications online and fast. And not just the way we communicate, but also the way we do business. I mean, you you have seniors now that not only are using FaceTime or, or Zoom or something for the first time, but they're ordering their groceries and having delivered. They're depending on, you know, all I've depended on Amazon now for several years, but some people had really never done digital shopping. With all this transformation happening, oh, and then, you know, I just, I laugh because I look at my office right now. If you had checked my office three weeks ago, I had a Mac and I had my phone, and that was pretty much it. Now I have two microphones, two computers. I have an indirect lighting system for the, the video conferencing I do. I, and, 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 and I had a green, I told Leah, I had a green screen delivered today for when I might want to do something from a different environment. I'm going like, this is crazy. This wasn't even in, this wasn't even in the cards four weeks ago, but it's, it's truly part of what we're going to be doing going forward, I think. It's so true. Which of the transformations do you believe will stick and which will maybe just simply be considered short-term adjustments to our environment? Well, you know, it's really relevant what you brought up about e-commerce. And we know that e-commerce has shot up just out of necessity. And I believe that once the dust settles a bit, eventually, I think that what we're going to see is there will remain that uptick in e-commerce. However, I do believe that people are going to go back out as soon as they can to those brick and mortars. Um, they're going to go back out to their restaurants, even though they're still going to use, you know, DoorDash and Uber Eats and the, and the different food service delivery options. They're going to get out. And this is the one social science experiment I think we're seeing now is you know, with people being asked to stay home and stay safe, is that they are pretty antsy to get back out there. And so, you know, those arguments that we used to have or discussions around is brick and mortar dying. I do believe this shows us that brick and mortar is not dead. And indeed, people do crave that in-person human-to-human connection. Yeah, it would be interesting to see because, you know, with the longer we go at uh, the work remotely, where most organizations were just so fearful of people working out of their houses. You know, are we going to see a situation where organizations realize that there are 52-story buildings with 4,000, 7,000 employees don't have to be as big, that a lot of this can be done remotely, that people may find out that, you know, that digital banking thing wasn't so bad after all, and I might do more of it. But it's not just the way we transact, but you spent 15 years in the field of marketing as your role at Thulium. And, and even before COVID-19, we were seeing a lot of changes in the way consumers consume media. How do you foresee the marketplace changing as it relates to marketing? Yeah, I mean, I think what we're going to see is that, you know, I am seeing that since 
COVID-19 that we have an accelerated interest in technology investment. So there's an awful lot of money going into investing into automation, investing into artificial intelligence and machine learning, and even into pharma. So with this push, with all of this investment of dollars into these technologies, I think we're going to see a huge jump and a faster timeline to getting to certain pieces. And to your point with how will marketers reach the modern consumer, you look at where are these folks going to be and what are they using to communicate with. And so we're going to get into things such as more reliance upon digital assistance and digital assistance being, you know, like your, your Google, your Alexa, and those are going to become more exquisite in their functionality. And it's not going to be the digital assistant of today. I'm talking about when we're able to really have our digital assistants suggest things to us without even having to ask. And so those digital assistants will be able to even be a proxy for us or a digital twin out there and going and getting some of the minutia done for us that we really don't love doing anyway. And things like artificial intelligence having, you know, sped up in its evolution to do a better job of sifting through data in real time and giving marketers a better perspective on that deeper personalization that they're looking for and giving a more immersive experience such as with AR and VR you know, with technologies evolving like they are, I think we're going to be seeing more adoption and a better version of, say, the augmented reality contact lenses and marketers' ability to market to people right there as they're walking past a market or walking past a, a brick-and-mortar shop or a restaurant. So these are going to be tools. So it will be moving from marketing in the traditional sense to really supporting and offering things at the right time, the right place in a contextual way, but based on what my needs have been determined by data and AI then, right? Absolutely. And your biometrics, right? So with, you know, biometrics being able to be measured too, they're going to know, you know, when you might be a little dehydrated, Jim, and might need a drink, a little refreshment. So there's going to know all kinds of things, but I think what it means for us is that we're no longer going to be owning the relationship between us and the consumer. But instead, it's going to be us creating relationships to these platforms. So it'll be marketing to machines instead of focused on marketing to human beings, because it's the machines, those digital assistants that are going to be communicating the information and making decisions for those human beings. Well, and as you said, you're going to go from a device that you actually ask questions for where the device then is asking you questions regarding what decisions you may want to make based on their data. So, and, and what's interesting is all of this is available today. It's just a matter of putting it together in the right way in a way that people aren't going to get freaked out. But, you know, it's very easy that my device could easily start my day by telling me everything about my banking balances, tell me about the weather, tell me about my calendar, ask me whether I want all the data about the person sent to me or just read to me about what's happened since the last time we met, scheduling the Uber, scheduling dinners, um, having delivery of groceries based on when was the last time I ordered. And all this without, with me just simply saying, yeah, that makes sense, almost like a digital concierge, isn't it? Absolutely. I love that. Yes, the digital concierge. Without you having to think about it, that's the key phrase right there because 
Yes, some of these things we already have, but we don't have them to the degree that we're going to need them to be that full concierge experience. And so that's where I think our tech evolution and then adoption, right, because we need more people to have these pieces in place for it to be incredibly impactful for the marketing community to be able to harness. Well, and it's going to be interesting because banking industry is great because they have so much data. But I get frustrated with the fact that it's one thing to know everything about your customers as opposed to letting your customers know you know things about them. (laughs) The fact that Wells Fargo can tell me, if I call them and said, tell me about what you know about me, they'd go through a litany. In fact, I'd probably be scared about what they know. The problem (laughs) is, on a continuous basis, they drop the ball with regard to helping me be a better me using the data they already know. They know what my mortgage payment is. They know who I make it to. They know how long I've been making it. So they know that they can easily offer me a mortgage at a better rate. They know where my balances are high and low. Yet three months ago, they said, if you want to, you can set a balance level that will notify you your balance is low. I'm going, that doesn't make any sense at all. It's different. Depends on the day of the week, day of the month. You know that better than I do. You know what day I usually take out my mortgage payment and that $100 is not the low balance I need. I need significantly more than that to pay my mortgage. And it's frustrating, not by the fact that organizations don't have the data and don't know about me, but it's the application of that data towards a better experience that's still sorely lacking. And I believe when we look at COVID and what the impact is, I think consumers are going to get more and more demanding because they're getting more and more output on how that can be done. There's a lot of organizations that are doing very well at that. You're making a really great point here, Jim. And I think that, you know, banking has been really behind the curve with respect to marketing to be helpful to their customers and really knowing their customers. And like you said, taking that first step to to be helpful, to reach out. You know, what smart financial institution would have taken the opportunity to reach out to their consumer base, their customer base, about the COVID-19 relief issues. None of them did. Actually, there is one. Oh, tell me. I'm dying to know. A person by the name of Jill Castilla. Mm -hmm. She's the CEO of a bank called Citizens Bank of Edmond, Oklahoma. Basically came to her whole customer base, said, if you want or if you need We will overdraw, we'll give you an overdraft line of credit for the amount of the check you're expected to receive, and you can pay it back to us once you get your check. Wow. Talk about an amazing mission where it builds trust that, oh, by the way, you're not just going to be there when I deposit money. You're going to be there when I'm, I'm hurting. And, oh, they were also one of the first organizations to be actually able to build a model or build the application to do a digital application for the SBA uh, PPP loan and actually get disbursements going. Now, they're a small organization, but that's not an excuse. Anybody can do it. You could say that it's maybe harder for them because they may not have as many digital tools. But again, you know, I'm a small business and I had to ask them about the PPP loans opposed to them immediately coming to me and going, do you need to know more? I use the term I want my bank to know me, understand me, and reward me. And I think we put up with a lot, but I think in these kind of scenarios, when you have stress coming from every angle, your trust and your loyalty will really build on those organizations that really supported your mental state when things were going crazy. Absolutely. And you know what I think is interesting is you're, you're mentioning a bank, a little unknown bank, 
that ends up doing something extraordinary. And what's really sad and, and a little disappointing is that our big banks, the ones with all the brand names, which I'll be delicate and elegant here and not mention any names. And that's what we want. We want to believe they care about us. Exactly. Well, you know, two days ago, Allstate Insurance said, without anybody pushing them, we're going to refund premiums for May and June for our car insurance customers because we realize you're not driving as much. Now, that takes it right from their bottom line. But anybody who did the math would say, wait, so you're making money knowing that I'm not going to get an accident. I can't drive right now. But they came out and actually made that commitment on the front end. That builds loyalty with me. Mm. It sets them out mm-hmm. apart in a world that's filled with a lot of insurance companies. So, you know, in most cases, discussion around data, insights, advanced analytics, and technology eventually move towards the impact on privacy and the role on government regulatory things with regard to identity. How do you think we resolve the paradox between wanting personalized solutions and somebody to look out for us, but not wanting to give up privacy? I think it's going to have to boil down to individuals. I think individuals are going to have to have the rights to their own data and then the decision to how they share their data and if they'll share it. Because you see, it is different. I mean, generationally, it's different. Before the social distancing and the global pandemic, I was at two large summits and we had a panel there. It was called Gen ZEOs. And it was with Adweek. And it was at, we did one at Google in New York and Google in San Francisco. And so the Gen ZEOs, what was interesting is they told all of us in the audience they said, we don't care about privacy. We're here to tell you we grew up giving everybody everything. I mean, these are the ones that they're the digital natives. They're the Gen Zs. They are on TikTok showing their whole life. They don't care about privacy. But Jim, you and I do. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I think it's got to be an individual. And I think it'll get to a point where brands and companies are going to reward in some way or pay us for our information. And we will decide whether or not we want to participate. Well, pay us if they're not already giving a value transfer. So you you end up with an Amazon. I, I use that as an example a lot that says, you know, initially we signed up for Amazon Prime because we got free shipping. Well, over time, everybody's offering free shipping, but we continue to pay $120 a year for basically the right to shop in a digital store that doesn't give you the personal interaction that a Nordstrom or something like that does. So what it really gets down to is saying, you know what, I trust you with my privacy. I trust you in the decision-making that says when I look for something on Amazon, I'm going to get to it pretty doggone quick because you know me. You know, in my case, you know I'm going to buy black or red. You know I'm going to probably buy a name brand and as strange as it may be, it doesn't matter where I'm in the world, I'm going to probably want it delivered tomorrow when next day delivery is still available. But what it is, is a value transfer. So I don't mind giving up my privacy in those situations where I'm getting something really good in return. On the other hand, I get frustrated when a financial institution, I know they know a lot about me and they continue to communicate with me as a general audience. And it's so obvious. And at a time when I'd really like to have somebody even fake it, that they know who I am. But when my bank today came and said, by the way, if you're not already signed up for online banking, please do so. I'm going like, guys, you could have made that an option in your database because I know you know that information. <laughs> or the fact that, you know, 
go to these locations. And if you haven't already signed up for the for information about it, I'm going like, you're sending me this to me because I did sign up for information. It's it's frustrating. And I think, you know, it's not just us that are going to get this. I think every consumer is going to understand that, geez, when they start shopping digitally for their groceries, that over time, the grocery delivery company would say, by the way, right now, I believe based on your habits, now's the time you usually order flour. Do you need flour? And they go, geez, thank you for reminding me. That's standing out in the crowd. So it'll be interesting. It will be. Moving a little bit to how automation and digital technologies may impact the future of work. What do you think will emerge from this crisis with regard to technology either replacing humans or humans not being asked to come back to work because how well the technology has worked in their absence? You know, this is a really interesting discussion because, you know, there have been several manufacturers that had to literally shut down manufacturing because a worker or workers became infected with you know, coronavirus. And so they had to send everyone home, which meant that everything halted. And as much as we all, you know, have been involved in these conversations around the future of work and automation and job loss, it's interesting that the people who often scream about, you know, we shouldn't automate immediately became terrified at the fact that there wasn't going to be enough toilet paper on the shelf because we have to realize that when we have human beings who are frail and subject to viral infection could literally shut down a manufacturing process and then we have all these issues with the supply chain, when we don't get our products and services, we cry foul But at the same time, we're saying don't automate. So you understand this is a little bit of a conundrum because which is it that you want? And I think that manufacturers have realized that unless they invest in automation, they are prone to to shutdowns like they experienced with coronavirus. And so I do believe it's going to be a natural business transaction to realize that if they hadn't invested in automation previously, they are now. And that there will be job losses due to automation. But it's two-pronged. I don't think it's a simplistic answer to say there will be new jobs created, therefore everything will be happy-go-lucky, because we know that's not the truth. But I do believe that, you know, with 80% of the jobs in 2030 not even having been invented yet, there will be new jobs created that are born from technologies that are not realized today. So, There will be ways in which we will be shifting the workforce, but will there be job loss? There will be. And think about this too, with rejuvenation, medicine, and longevity pushing the boundaries of our lifespan and the first human being already being born to live to the age of 200, we are looking at longer lifespans and not only just longer lifespans with aging, we're going to reverse the aging process. So we'll be living longer and more youthful lives, maybe even rewinding the clock back to a more youthful time in our lives. And so those of us may be looking at never retiring. I mean, if we're going to increase our lifespan by 20, 40, even 100 years or more, we aren't retiring. We will be shifting the paradigm of retirement and be looking at, you know, how many times can we reinvent ourselves, Jim, and do different career paths. But we are going to have you know, not only people who will be replaced by automation and will have to find new ways of employment, but we will have people living longer 
and babies will still be born and coming into this world, so we'll have more people on the planet, there are going to be a lot of really critical social and economic implications with our advanced technological future, which is precisely why you know I'm going back to school. Okay, on that subject, and as our final question, you're a person that takes a great deal of pride in your ability to consistently pivot and transform yourself. What advice do you give our listeners as to how to use this shelter-in-place period for their personal and professional growth? Yeah, it's a great question because shelter-in-place is a very physical aspect where we are asked to stay home. But I also think metaphorically, shelter-in-place means a time to go within. And oftentimes, we're so busy you know, running our companies and traveling and doing all that we do that we don't take a pause to think about, you know, are we enjoying our life? Are we experiencing, and I'm not joking when I say, are we experiencing our lives? Because sometimes we get so busy and caught up in the momentum of living that we actually didn't experience it. And I think now is a great time to go within and ask yourself, knowing what we know and how things are reshaping and evolving, what is it that you're passionate about? You know, are you enjoying what you're doing? And is there some aspect of that that you could explore or expand upon? How are we helping the younger generation? How are we giving of our expertise and our time to mentor, lend a hand, and care about our fellow human beings? And I think that's going to be really important as we move forward into this perceived future that we have. And I am committed to wanting to, you know, do what I need to do to learn to be a voice for humanity in how we're being reshaped by technology and we're redefining what it means to be human and, you know, gathering our collective voice about co-creating our future and being conscious of our creations and not just creating it because we can, but creating it because we've already considered all the implications of unleashing our creations on the world so that one day we all wake up and are happy with the future that we've created. You do a really good job. I've listened to some of your podcasts and you tend to end every one of your podcasts with what I'll call the mic drop moment. That was Brilliant. And I really appreciate you spending the time with me today, uh, being a follower of yours for a long time, but now understanding even more about who you are as a person and to also find out that we're very aligned in some unique ways with regard to what we want into our lives, what we don't want into our lives. And also, you know, there's not many people, and I'm, I'm lucky enough to know a few now, and you're one of them, that really see this COVID crisis as an opportunity that if you take every one of these moments that have been transitioned, and now that we've all gotten used to how to deal with daily life, there's time left over. And, you know, the digital technology that's out there, the, the ability to search, the ability to use the internet, the ability to use Zoom and everything else, gives us an amazing opportunity to completely transform ourselves and to be able to take on something that we're passionate about, whatever it is in banking, in digital marketing, in not-for-profit work, whatever it may be. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been my honor to spend time with you, Jim. It's such a pleasure. It's been really nice to chat. You know, that was an, a really interesting interview because I think 
While I wanted to focus on digital marketing and what's happening with technology post-COVID, it got deeper than that. It got into how it transforms us as people, how technology, how marketing, how digital interaction is really going to provide us an opportunity that we've never seen before. It's going to provide us to us as individuals as well as corporations. If you've been with me this long, I appreciate that, number one. Number two, we're going to provide a little bonus today. And the bonus is that we recorded our early discussion between Temra and I before we even went live. It was interesting because we got to know each other for the first time, and we thought maybe our audience would like to see what sometimes happens before we even go live. This is Jim. How are you? Hey, Jim. Hey, how are you? This is just too funny overall because, I, you know, I start off with saying <laughs> the fact that We've known each other forever, but never talked to each other, which is really kind of strange. But Isn't that wild? It's true, though. Well, it happens often. I mean, I remember we had a dinner in Washington, D.C. Gosh, it's now about six years ago. I had a table of 12 people, all of which knew intimately everything about the other people, but none of us had ever <laughs> met each other. And so when you meet each other, you give the hug. We, this is obviously post or pre-COVID, but you give a big hug. You ask how the kids are. You say, you know, how's work? How's that problem you've been having? Go through everybody. And somebody from the outside would say, oh, my God, these people have known each other forever. And we have never met in person. And, and you know, even the, as you know, when you go speaking, even the recognition of people that come up to you and go, hi, how you doing? And they have this great intimacy with you, but you've never seen them before in your life. And yet you go, okay, or, or they give you the good old, oh, I have followed you forever. I'm thinking, boy, back in the day, that would be called stalking. But uh, yeah, <laughs> right? crazy stuff. Oh, yeah, totally. So true. So how are you surviving this whole change? We're good. You know, luckily, Jim, you know, our agency is di digital. So our workforce is already a disparate workforce geographically. Covering, you know, uh, well, you know, our clients are 180 countries. So obviously, our workforce is work from home. Yeah. So for us, it wasn't really any shift in our day-to-day -day work, except for, you know, all the messaging and editorial calendars we'd put out for our clients had to immediately off the press, rewritten, new editorial calendar. <laughs> so the work was a scramble, you know, at first to catch up. And because, you know, we work with so many insurers and HR companies that, you know, uh, we had to become COVID-19 experts overnight. But as far as how our employees work, none of that changed. You're like me oh. that I work from home also, but I also traveled internationally on yes. a regular basis. Yeah. I, mean, I had, I think, 33 engagements last year, of which I think 20 were overseas. And, you know, that that mm -hmm. goes away. That goes away completely. You know, so uh, you go, okay. Yeah, no, that just yeah. that just disappeared. Like it dissolved into nothingness. Yeah. It was really interesting. Well, and it's interesting for me in that before this really started coming down in mass, I saw that a couple of events were changing, canceling, and people were telling some of their employees, you know, we're not going to allow any travel for visiting clients. And so I'm coming back from one of my son's lacrosse games when he was still playing in University of Lacrosse. Now that's all canceled, but I'm coming back from that and realizing, you know, there's there may be a pivot here, you know, because people are still going to have to keep in touch with their their banks that they serve on the solution provider side. Maybe I take mm -hmm. all the writings I've been doing, turn them into white papers, 
offer them for sale that they can then distribute to their clients. So all of a sudden, I've pivoted to truly at-home work fully. But, you know, if somebody is all about speaking, it's kind of a tough time. Yeah. No, I feel bad for them. But it's an adjustment. Yeah. You know, well, it is. I think for me, I, I had to pivot a long time ago thinking, if I'm just going to be out there speaking, that means all of my income is only generated by me. And I like to think of multiple streams. You know, I used to be a day trader back in the late 90s. You have a history. You know, when I when I listen to your, your cousin, correct? Your, yeah. I, when I listen to that, Nadine and she's kidding about yeah. not only where you've been, but where you're going. I'm going like, oh, my God, talk about – you're not pivoting. You're you're completely transporting yourselves to completely different universes. And, it, and you know, it's interesting because it is so much fun for me to meet somebody – that truly loves to learn, loves to emote that and, and to teach others, and then is not afraid to completely change what they're doing. I, I talk about my, my background is very quickly in, at age 55, 11 years ago now, I was concerned that my sales ability to the banking industry, that people would see me as irrelevant because I remember thinking some people became irrelevant at that time. I said, I don't want that. So I started reading a lot more, writing about what I wrote, giving my opinions, and it became a blog. And then it became something that people expected me to do twice a week. And eventually it became, <laughs> you know, I bought a report business. And then last July, I started a podcast. And it's crazy that I'm going, oh, my gosh, you know, most people are saying, oh, and this all happened 10 years ago. When I started using social media, and that's when the, everybody started. So I became an influencer only because I was on the stuff early, you know, in 2008 and 2009. So, you know, you end up with a lot of followers just because of the duration on the on the channels. But it's – Yeah. And I'm learning something new every day. But, you know, my sister and brother are both younger than me. They both retired. But I'm going – I'm, I'm ready for the next stage. I'm ready for something new, nothing, something different. And, and But keeping everything I've got going on, and, and you're obviously doing more as well. So kind of fun. I love it. I love it. Hey, awesome. but it, keeps you, it, it truly keeps you alive. And at times like this, you're going, and, you know, I have a shirt that says, it didn't kill you. Um, there's something to be said for that. You know, that at the end of the day, how bad is it to not succeed? You know, it just goes on with life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just get you get good at it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And and it and there's no fear to it. And it's interesting because my wife no was a very big retailer, um, a merchant. She uh, started in store retail. She started Bath and Body Works back in in the day, quite a ways ago, and now is in digital merchandising for a party supply company of all things. That right now is a PPE supplier. So they converted. You know they've transition as most many companies have to making other things and my son was a baseball player until eighth grade and at the end of one travel season he said dad I'm, I'm no longer going to play baseball which completely floored his mother and I who are big baseball fans he goes I'm gonna start playing lacrosse and uh he committed doubled down and he transformed himself and was a starting lacrosse player from ninth grade until senior in college now and uh, never stopped learning. And now he's going to be hopefully at some point um, transitioning to the work world and going to have to completely re-identify who he is and what he's known for. Because, you know, mm -hmm. he's got the lacrosse haircut and uh, has, has truly been very good at everything he's done. But it's it's different. Fun stuff. Yeah. 
Wow. That's really good. You know, we should have recorded this. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay, you ready? And, and I want to make sure I get it right because the, the enunciation. Is it Tamara? It's Tamara. Okay, Tamara. Okay. And then, um, but don't, if, you, if you make a mistake, just roll with it. Don't worry about it because everybody gets it wrong. So yeah, but I'm not. Not a um, good excuse, though. So. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a stickler for name. You can call me anything just right now. I just don't want to be called mom anymore. Oh, now how, how old are your kids? <laughs> we have a 13-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a 21-year-old. Oh, my gosh. This is, yeah. I mean, across the board, so, this is a really tough time. It is. You know, no prom, no senior graduation. Yeah, that's, that's the 19-year-old, so, right? The 19-year-old is good, missed uh, all that? Oh, it's, it's, I, I. Well, and our 17-year-old was prom with her boyfriend, who's a senior. Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, there's lots of drama going on. But um, Well, and, and the thing is, it affects us, too, because this was part of our life. This is part of what we were looking forward to seeing our kids do. The milestones. Oh, my, yeah. my son is senior yeah. in college. Lived with all his lacrosse buddies. He was a, a truly a, 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 a. I'm very braggadocious about him, but he he's a star at his school, star in the conference. This year was the year they were the second team ever to play at this school, so this was a very important class to like get to the graduation. And all of a sudden, first the school went virtual, and then they announced that the season would be stopped. And to the, yeah. I will never forget the moment because. The coach wrote to all the parents, said, guys, um, we don't have any more games. The next game you're going to see is going to be tomorrow. It's going to be at 4 o'clock. We're going to play it on our field, our team against our team. We're going to distribute the brand-new uniforms we had for this year, and they're going to play their last game. And they announced it. Wow. Was, you know, senior Cameron Bruce just scored or whatever it was. And every time this happened, everybody was pinging each other, just crying. And then the worst part, and you've gone through this, I'm sure, with yours, is that – Two hours later, my son called, bawling his eyes out, just like a like a five year old. They had not heard him cry like this. I don't remember him ever crying like this. Just going, what has just happened? And I found out from the other parents mm. that every one of the kids that were roommates, all did the exact same thing because they were so emotionally bought in. They, uh, you know, yeah. and just and, and you can't you can't. Now, the, mind you, this whole COVID thing has created a terrible job market for him. So it's very possible that he is going to go back to school, get a, an additional major in finance on top of his marketing and his data analytics degree and uh, play out his last year of eligibility for lacrosse. So, it, you know, I, I'm mm. very fortunate to be able to say, Cameron, whatever decision you make, if you go to New York or Philadelphia to, to get a job um, in data analytics, if you ha are fortunate to get a job, that's okay. If you decide to do internships, that's okay. If you decide to go back to school, we can we can cover you on that. So he has, I he's always made the right decision, but we give him enough, you know, landing strip that he can do whatever he wants. So it's kind of good, hmm. but it's different. You're a good dad, Jim. Well, you're he's, a really good dad. He's a really good kid. <laughs> we much much. My wife and I often look at each other going. He did most of this on his own because this is not – you cannot put the combination of him or myself and my wife together and get what he became. It's just a – yeah. <laughs> so we're good with that, though. It's, it's, it's good because I don't – I look back and if I, if, I had a, if I had somebody that wasn't like that, I don't think I could handle it. I'm not, I'm not that skilled, so – 
Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, just rated as a top five banking podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, please be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to give our show a five-star rating. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out our research we are doing on digital transformation, retail banking innovation, the digital customer experience, and financial marketing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Lombrake, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Maroos. Until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.